0: Welcome to this episode of the Bully Pew Podcast brought to you by Protestia.com. I am your host, David Morrill, and I am driving home right now in what is looking like a little bit of snow. A little bit of snow, which means drivers in Colorado turn into insane people. They lose control of their faculties and they are not able to accurately judge distance or accurately figure out the rules of the road that they supposedly knew before. So hopefully I will be making it back home in one piece, Uh, but there's no guarantees. Although I suppose if I don't make it home in one piece, you'll never hear this podcast because I am recording it while I'm driving on my phone. You can probably hear the turn signal clicking right now. I stole this idea, as many of you may know from Seth Dunn and the Christian Commute. I thought it was a very a very wise or a, maybe a very efficient way to record a podcast, especially one where a lot of what you say is sort of just off the cuff and, you know, just sort of what you want to say versus um, something that is deeply researched and referenced on the fly. Not that Seth doesn't come up with things, you know, <laughs> not that he doesn't say things that are researched and that he knows something about But I kind of like this format. It seems to lend itself more to um, just being narrative. And because it is an audio-only podcast, normally that would mean that I could kind of say sort of whatever I want. But some of you may know the Bully Pube podcast is also um, played on Protestia Live. The Bully Pube podcast plays on Protestia Live at 3 p.m. Mountain Time, which is the time zone that matters, as we all know because it is where protestia studios is currently <laughs> and, and but the but the problem with putting the podcast on places like YouTube and an other um, authoritarian leaning if we put it that way to be kind i suppose authoritarian leaning big tech platforms is they don't like us talking about anything and everything that we want to talk about and there are a lot of things that um, that I want to talk about that I suspect if they go on this podcast, we'll get it yanked off of YouTube. So I think I'm gonna I'm going to call an audible right now and this this episode of the Bully Pew podcast is going to not go out on platforms that hate free speech. Frankly, they don't deserve to be in the conversation anymore with you and me and those of us that are, Um, Inclined to speak freely about anything and everything, and the things I'm going to be speaking about are things related to COVID-19 and the vaccine. And um, I woke up this morning. Let's say it this way: I woke up this morning, um, kind of angry, and I'll I'll admit that freely. I woke up this morning angry, and I was angry because I'm starting to realize that a lot of the folks that a lot of the folks that got all of COVID-19 wrong. They basically from 2020 on, they acted in fear and they they acted like they didn't know that government and um, politicians and big media and big tech lie to us on a regular basis, that they didn't know that. They bought it hook, line, and sinker and they bought it hook, line, and sinker to the point where they all became, um, for lack of a better way to say it, they all became little Nazis. They all decided that the solution to all of this, and what we have to do, is basically throw freedom right out the window, and say if you don't do exactly what the government tells you to do, if you don't do exactly what um, big tech and its its collusion with big governments and big pharma tells you to do all the time, not only will we will censor your speech and we will seek to ostracize you from society, but but we will actually effectively do these things. We will ruin your children's education. We will ruin, um, we will set them back years as far as what uh, they're learning. We will, we will take their faces away, making small children unable to develop naturally in terms of, um, in terms of their interaction with, with other people and being able to read facial expressions and all the things that we, we just take for granted as adults. We're, we're able to communicate so much that's unspoken or just related to speech, but not the speech itself because we can see each other's faces. That's natural interaction. And we took that away from kids. We closed businesses. We closed churches. Uh, we played favorites. So, so it was like... Um, small businesses had to close, but if you happen to be selling marijuana or alcohol, or um, you know you ran a strip club or a casino, you're good to go. You're, then th- those are essential businesses, of course. If you happen to, be, you know, own Walmart or a big grocery store, you could probably keep that open. But other small businesses, no, they, these aren't essential services. And of course, to any free market-minded person, everything in that free market is an essential service. And because. Um, that's, that's how money flows for sure. And we need that kind of economic activity all the time to keep everything going. (coughs) It's, it is very dry in Colorado. So if you hear me cough, I'll try to put the mic the other direction. So it is not nearly as, as, as annoying. I can't promise anything, but, but I, so I found myself, you know, waking up angry about this, not, not just because of what they, what they've done. Uh, what, what has happened over the last couple of years, but the fact that now that the real facts are coming out about all this, th- there are some of us, and yes, I, I put myself in this category, there are some of us that had this thing pegged from the very beginning. There were some of us that looked at the data initially, the, the original data, and noticed, noticed that they were changing things, noticed that they were changing the way that they framed things like infection versus case versus versus death from a certain cause. They were changing the framework to make it look like something other than what it was. Now fast forward to 2023 and we have articles in the Washington Post of all places. The liberal Washington Post is now publishing people that are telling us, hey, 70 to 80% of the supposed COVID deaths didn't die of COVID-19. And of course, guys like me are looking around saying, we've been saying this the whole time. We've been saying this whole time, and you people censored us and shut us down and tried to have us banned and canceled. Um, you went after our jobs and our livelihoods because we would be, because we were telling the truth about this. You called us killers. You said you said that we didn't care about other people, we didn't love our neighbors as ourselves because we dared to say, "Hey, they're telling you a lie here." Now it's turning out to all be true, and they're starting to admit it. But that's that. It, it makes me angry because the people that got this wrong the whole time are now trying to pretend like they didn't. They're trying to pretend like oh it was just a flip of the coin. The, some people got it right and some people got it wrong. There's no way we really could have known. And so I mean you just, you guys just got lucky that you that that you did. Uh, this person is trying to cut me off because they didn't pay attention to <laughs> what. Go ahead, buddy. No, go ahead. Get in. You're fine. Yeah, don't, don't worry about actually driving like a normal human being. I'm sorry, you guys. I know this is, you probably sound like angry David right now behind the wheel, which is not the best place to be while you're angry. So I'll try to reel it back in a little bit. But let me get back to the real reason that the the real reason that uh, that I'm irritated here. And it's not this drive, this inconsiderate driver that just cut me off. It's not that Um, it's more that the people that got this wrong the entire time and they didn't just get it wrong. It wasn't just a mistake. I mean, it was a mistake, but don't forget what the results of this mistake was. The results and where they ended up was basically characterizing it like, um, the, the people that say, I don't want to take the vaccine, quote unquote vaccine, or I don't think that you have the right to shut my business down. I don't want to wear a face, a face diaper. That's none of your business. And, and it turns out we were entirely right. 100% right about everything we said. Um, they they, they tried to destroy our lives. They turn into little Nazis um they did things that are are objectively evil objectively evil positions to take they took in the name of supposed safety which was really in the name of cowardice and capitulation to government overlords and now they're basically trying to trying to um, get a free pass and certainly from a Christian perspective we would like to we would like to forgive and forget um, but forgiveness I would argue that um, the Forgiveness is precipitated by someone actually um, being contrite and apologetic and repentant for what they did. We don't owe somebody forgiveness. We don't owe somebody forgiveness um, just because because they've supposedly changed their mind now. Um, These people that are are trying to basically walk it back and pretend like they never did or said or advocated for the things that they did and, and, and said and advocated for they're trying to walk it back with no consequences. At the very least, the people that did this need to be um, apologetic. They need to be apologetic and admit that not only did they get all of this stuff wrong, they got it wrong to the point where they were complicit in in um, just violations of human rights on a level I thought we would never see in this country. Complicit, complicit in things like destroying people's businesses and closing down their churches and basically, advocating for anybody not going along with the government, um, the government line, which again turned out to be totally wrong, and it's it's going to get worse. I might add, but the people that went along with this government line, they're 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 acting like somehow there should be no consequences. They're, like like somehow we should just uh, you know with with no apology, no contrition, no repentance, no correction. That, that because we're good Christians, we're just sort of going to let them off the hook. And we can't do that. We can't and we shouldn't do that. It's not even the right thing to do that for them. To say it's okay that you sinned grievously. It's okay that you advocated for um, um, policies akin to um, Nazi Germany. And that's exactly what it is granted on a smaller scale and not to the point where um, people were being murdered and sent off to concentration camps but there were COVID camps there were and there were certainly policies that that pushed people out of their jobs made them lose their careers made them lose promotions um, this this happened to me in an institution I work for where I was basically told by senior leadership look um, you can't even we can't send you to the school to be to to get promoted, we can't send you there because you didn't take the COVID shot and it's just a shot by the way ladies and gentlemen, it is not a vaccine, it was never a vaccine, you were all experimented on it was a novel technology, new technology, had never been used on a, on a human population, ever and now we're finding out, oh it, it, it only, to the point where it even works at all, which means we've guessed about the right variant, uh, it only works for four to six weeks and then you've probably stunted your immune system and made it made the next one even worse. Like you and 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 you have, we have people out there basically lamenting the fact they got COVID after their third or fourth booster and you want to tell them like have you not figured out by now this doesn't work it never worked? That the people that were suspicious of a rushed product that just happened to be both simultaneously under emergency use authorization and net these pharma companies billions and billions of dollars that there might be something suspicious about this. It's, I mean, I I would certainly be angry if I was one of the people in, in an organization that said, you have to take this thing or you're gonna get fired. And I felt like I had no choice, but you did have a choice. Everybody had a choice. And there are some of us who paid a price for that, a price for being correct. And it's only gonna get worse for us. They're not gonna come back and say, hey, you guys were right the whole time. You you guys were right the whole time. Maybe we should give you the reins of. Maybe we should uh, take seriously your leadership abilities because you stood on principle, and you were willing to sacrifice for what you knew was right. That's not going to happen. No, we're, we're going to be ostracized further. We're going to be ostracized by those people that, um, that were were either fooled or were were fearful when they shouldn't have been, and did the wrong thing. Um, the those people are still going to stand against us. It's going to get worse for those of us that were right about this. And that's just, it's, it just, it really, it really irritates me. Um, and I don't, I, and, and now we have, you know, evangelical leaders basically coming out and say, Hey, the Christian thing to do is to be forgiving is to be forgiving. So really, you know, in, in, in the spirit of Christian forgiveness, you're supposed to forget that these people haven't repented from trying to destroy your lives for the last two years. They haven't repented for calling you killers, calling you murderers, um, calling you unchristian and unchristlike for being entirely correct about all of this. For being appropriately suspicious of big pharmaceutical companies, big government, and um, following along with... following the orders of people that hate you. You know, I mean, I've said this before. I, I don't understand how professing Christians got to the point where they would, they, they, um, apparently believed that God would allow a novel virus, a, a novel pandemic to occur so severe that it would necessitate disobeying him by, by forsaking the gathering. Like that, that didn't even cross the minds of a lot of professing Christians. They should have said, wait a minute, wait a minute. Why, why would, I mean, is it, are, are we open to the possibility that God would allow a novel pandemic, a pandemic so dangerous that it, it, we would have to choose between um, uh, disobeying God or watching our loved ones die. I mean, we, we, we never even did that calculus. And, and certainly in the face of um, truth tellers indicating, hey, the government is lying to you here. They're lying to you. It used to be epi- epidemiology, how we track diseases and all of this, used to be pretty simple. It used to be we had infections and we had cases and we had deaths. And an infection was any time that you had the, the pathogen in your system. A case was when you had the pathogen in your system and developed an illness, um, an illness significant enough to be treated for it. Then you were, it would be a case. And of course, a death was um, when that pathogen and the resulting disease from the pathogen was so severe that it was the cause of your death. Now you're a death. And for COVID, they, they changed it all. They changed it all and they monetarily incentivized bad information. They actually gave people money for reporting things that weren't, weren't true by any standard definition. So, so under COVID, it was, well, infections and cases, we make no distinction. Anybody with the pathogen present in any amount is considered a case, is considered a case. And then we're gonna report all those numbers together, which means there's no way for the public to actually ascertain how serious the symptoms of this are. All we know is, hey, the virus is spreading around, which of course they always do, no matter how many pieces of fabric you strap on your face. It, it always spreads around, it's an airborne virus. Six feet of distance makes no difference at all with an airborne virus. And so when you combine infections and cases into one number and call it cases, all all you do is create scary headlines. Uh, You know, then the news could report how how many extra cases of COVID there are all over the place and you had no ability to tell, okay, are are these people that have a serious COVID problem or they just have the virus somewhere in their system and they're fine. They, They haven't even gotten sick from it because that was a lot of people, they didn't care. They just wanted to scare us. Put that big, big scary number out there and uh, scare the you-know-what out of everybody for the purpose of controlling us. And it worked. How many people, when an experimental vaccine, quote-unquote vaccine, something they claimed was a vaccine, which is really gene therapy, injecting messenger RNA into your own cells to make them do things they're not designed to do, they're not supposed to do, um, how many people, when that came along, were so scared Needlessly afraid of COVID-19, that they would take anything that the government told them to take, anything, no matter no matter how um, how how much the motivations were twisted, no matter how much there was a conflict of interest with Pfizer and Moderna and Johnson and Johnson and every other you know, Astrazeneca, every other company that came out with a COVID vaccine, they, it didn't even bother them how how much of a problem this really was. Um, and, and how much of it, how much of a conflict of interest, um, was involved in what they were being sold? They were so scared, and and now the truth is coming out that oh, you know, we were over-reporting all the COVID numbers. And by the way, the, the COVID deaths were probably the worst example of this, at, at all. As they said, anybody who dies who happens to have tested positive for COVID, any time around when they died, is considered a COVID death. So it doesn't matter. If COVID actually contributed to your death at all, um, you could have died from a car wreck, and if you test positive for COVID, hospitals were labeling that COVID death. Now, why were they doing that? Well, because they got extra money for every person in the hospital that died of COVID. They got every they got extra money for every person in the hospital that was considered a COVID case, which which is why they were they were incentivized to report people in the hospital for things totally unrelated. You go in for a gallbladder surgery or whatever, and you test positive for COVID, the the hospital codes you as a COVID hospitalization, so they get more money. This was all set up to scare everybody half to death, um, to solidify political power, and of course, line the pockets of big pharmaceutical companies, who of course, donate in large amounts to every politician under the sun. The whole thing was a setup. And... In the middle of all this, you have uh, supposed church and evangelical leaders going right along with it and basically chastising their congregations and saying, if you don't get the, the, the experimental shot here, you don't love your neighbor because the experimental shot uh, stops the spread of the virus and keeps people from getting infected. And it's like, wait wait a minute, it doesn't stop the spread of the virus? It doesn't keep people from getting infected? Oh, it, it actually makes it worse. You're actually statistically more likely to come down with a serious case of COVID after you've taken the, the third or fourth booster. Um, yeah, we're not going to apologize for that, you know, because after all, our hearts were supposedly in the right place. Um, you know, we, we, we were only trying to uh, uh, keep everybody safe. You know, it's only a coincidence that what we were arguing for was also entirely selfish and in our own self interest, not only padded our own power but also um, went uh, hand in glove with the narrative that we wanted to believe for our own safety. I mean, honestly, I mean, honestly, people, what real Christians are afraid of death? Really? I mean, what, what Christians are afraid of death more than that initial reaction of, I don't want to feel that pain of dying. Like, do we, do we not believe that to die is gain? Are we not looking forward to our glorification? Is that not all in the hands of God? Why are we scared of death? I mean, I mean, what, what faithful Christian worth their stall is truly afraid of death? And yet, we had entire groups of Christians, I mean, no pun intended, scared to death over COVID-19 to the point where they sinned egregiously. And now they there is no, there is no um, repentance for this whatsoever. Instead, they're trying to just sort of back out slowly, like, I, I never really said that. You know, you guys that were totally right about the vaccine being worthless and even damaging to people. Um, yeah, you were right about that, but it's just because you got lucky. You know, and while they expect us to assume their motives were pure, we, we were just trying to convince everybody to love their neighbor. They're impugning our motives to this day. To this day, they're saying, you got lucky with this. Those of you that were right about, all, about, about the COVID vaccine being a sham... And, and something actually terrible to take and something that, that none of us should have done. You were right about that because you got lucky and you were holding back at the time we all submitted and, and got fooled and submitted to this. You were holding back because you're selfish. Because you're selfish and you just you, you just didn't want to be a team player. You didn't want to love your neighbor. You didn't care about passing on the virus to everybody or, or grandma dying or any of that. Um, they're still to this day saying that that was our motivation. You know, and, and now that it's come out that we were right about it, the grandma was no better off taking the COVID vaccine. And it doesn't stop the spread. It doesn't stop infection. It makes infection worse and more likely. And and those that have taken third and fourth boosters now are likely gonna have to take the dumb thing their entire life, which was the plan. Get your immune system hooked on something unnatural and, and dependent on it. That was the plan the whole time for the pharmaceutical companies. They saw, and they admitted this by the way, so I'm not, this isn't conspiracy theory stuff. They admitted that they wanted the COVID shot to become basically like the flu shot. Except the problem is the COVID shot is so ineffective and, and troublesome, you have to take it twice a year. Flu shots supposed to be once a year. COVID shots supposed to be twice a year. Now, that's big money for them to get your immune system addicted to such a thing. And they admitted it, they, they, they've admitted this. Um, they also admitted that they didn't test at all whether the shots actually stopped the spread. They just let the media run with that. They let the politicians run with that. But they never actually uh, proved that with any sort of data or testing. Um, but those of us that got this right, we, we're still having our motives impugned. We're still being accused of not being a team player. Now, I think that there's part of this that where people are, they're secretly upset at themselves for, for falling for it. They're upset at, that, with themselves for um, going along with this. And you know the old saying, misery loves company. They're not happy that there's a, those of us out here that um, decided against this for whatever reason. And now we're not stuck on the, uh, the big pharmaceutical gravy train of taking shot after shot after shot the rest of our lives. In fact, our natural immunity is by every stretch of the imagination superior. And so there is a, there, there is a, a component of, of jealousy in all of this, I would argue as well, where where it's like it's we're we're not okay with the fact that you're out there not not gonna and not gonna be suffering the problems we're all suffering, um, and the only reason that you're not gonna be suffering like we're all suffering is because you got lucky, you were selfish and you got lucky, you ended up on the right side of this. That's what they're saying now. A lot of these people are saying this, and I'm still I'm still miffed. I you know I'm I'm not sure what the right way to describe it is, but I'm still miffed at the the pastors and churches that fell for this as well and and disobeyed the Lord, shut down the, the gathering, shut down the church. And now we're bas- basically trying to claim, well, we, we just did the best we could at the time. You know, we were trying to love our neighbor. <coughs> we we're trying to love our neighbor. And so we're doing the best we could at the time. And so, I mean, even though we got it egregiously wrong and getting it wrong actually caused us to sin because now we're all, all um, haranguing our congregations to not forsake the gathering. That's the ironic part is the same churches who were basically like, oh, the government told us to shut down. They said it's a scary virus. So we're going to close the church. You know, they closed the church and people left and they never came back. And so now these churches and these pastors are like, uh, you know, Hebrews ten twenty five says to not forsake the gathering. So you got to come to church, and it's like, no, but you you forsook the gathering, you closed the door to the church, you 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 believed the the government lies that contradicted the clear teaching of the word of God, the government lie that said that that uh, there's there's a virus that's so scary that you got to to love your neighbor, you have to stop loving God, to love your neighbor, you have to disobey God. You actually believed that, you people believed that. And now you're surprised, like people won't come back to your church. I'm not surprised. You know, those those that knew that gathering on Sunday was the faithful, obedient thing to do found more faithful churches than yours. I mean, look at look at Joel Osteen's fake church. It's half full now. Um, one of the one of the local mega churches over here is basically having to. Um, they went down from the two services they were doing down to one service because people stopped going. Um, they realized they could get the, the, the benefits that they were getting from the gathering, all the, the good feels and the, the, you know, surface level fellowship and whatever they thought they were getting from the church. They realized they could get those on their own terms by just staying home, maybe watching online. You know, nobody's going to harangue them then for not giving. Nobody's going to harangue them for not being involved. Um, it was so much easier. And now, I mean, you know, this, this has caused, I would argue in many, in many ways, a permanent paradigm shift in, the, the, the modern American church is now churches are investing heavily in their quote-unquote online presence that's that's become a thing now so we, we have to make sure that our technology is such that we can um, stand you know in, in terms of professionalism stand alongside uh, other online you know big online churches so so I, I mean and again we're competing for viewership with other churches online that's the goal here. The goal isn't to say, the goal isn't to say, um, faithful Christians come to church, we're going to minister to people, um, that are our actual neighbors, you know, those in our communities that can physically be ministered to at our church and expect them to be loving, giving, serving faithful members of that church. Um, we'll, we'll do, we'll, we'll modify what we're doing any way we can to get more attention. Like... I don't know who needs to hear this, probably nobody who's a faithful believer. Online church is not church. It's not church. It is to the point where churches record sermons and put materials online, it is nothing but supplement. And there's nothing wrong with supplement, but it is supplement, it's not a replacement. The, the only way I would argue that online church services can, can, should be used in lieu of actually gathering is if you are providentially hindered. You know, you're sick. You're in the hospital. Um, You know, you got stuck traveling. You were supposed to make it back and you couldn't. And so, okay, we'll we'll watch it for that reason. But there is no need, no need for a church live stream of a Sunday morning service. I say this as somebody who does a fair amount of live streaming myself. I'm familiar with the technology, its ups and downs, what it's good for and and whatnot. And I would tell you, um, we should not be... Live streaming our Sunday morning services, and you say, "Well, what about the providentially hindered? What about the what about the people that just they are members of our church, but they're in the hospital or something?" Uh, yeah, I understand. That record the church service, and, and and they can watch it later. It is a small price to pay for not not tacitly encouraging people not to show up. Send it to them specifically. Um. There is no, I mean, if, if a live stream church service is a decent substitute for it and actually being at church, um, there's nothing, technically speaking, there's nothing different about watching it live and watching it recorded later. There's just not. And I, I say this because even live streaming itself is not, it's not live. You're still recording it. You're recording it and it's being replayed four or five seconds later on a separate device, but it's still being just a recording. You're not there. It's not real. I mean, your, your presence isn't real in that in, in in that place. And so that being the case, it's not any different to to, uh, to live stream it than it is to pre-record it and watch it later. Um, you're still not participating in the way God designed his people to participate with each other in worship. And again, if you're in the hospital, you know, absolutely we could send that to you uh if you want to watch it later uh, like maybe you're a member of that church and you're out of town or, or you know on business or something you can't um yeah watch it later but do your best to find a church to be at on sunday morning no matter where you are and then yeah you can watch your local church's service later that's that's fine but what you don't want to do is give somebody the option of saying um this is the same thing and pastors they just do this now they do this pathologically they're standing behind pulpits on Sunday morning and saying, uh, you know, welcome to all you newcomers here and all you people online. What? Like, no. You, you, you need not be encouraging this. It is, it is um, not beneficial for the sake of teaching the importance of actually gathering together. And we all know, I mean, we should know by now how cheap online interaction really is. It's 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 a it's a counterfeit for natural human interaction, and I know this as someone that has a lot of online a lot of online contacts, a lot of on, I mean friends who I've never met in real life, who I still trust as friends, but technically speaking, neither one none of us have any skin in the game in each other's lives. That's just true. There's no there's no way around it. Um, yeah we yeah we have a kinship as brethren you know brothers and sisters in christ for sure as much as we can possibly confirm someone is a true christian um yeah you can have that with people online but the truth is that um when push comes to shove you will you will take care of those closest to you your family and those who are actually in your physical proximity more than you'll take care of those across the country and that's okay you expect them to be taken care of by the people that are physically close to them as well you know when when uh christ summarized the second table of the ten commandments by saying uh, love your neighbor as yourself your neighbor is there's there is a practical reality and limitation to that it's not love everybody on the earth as you know um unconditionally no matter what the same amount in the same way that's not possible obviously um your neighbor, I mean, even the term itself denotes people that are close to you, your family your community, your church, the people in your sphere of influence, those are the people that you love in a practical way and in a practical way that you can't love uh, people across the country, people across the world you know, even as we pray for them, it's its with a very clear understanding that prayer is about the most we can do <clears throat> And not that I mean, God obviously is sovereign in all of those areas, and He will take care of them. Um, but He does. He does. I mean, we are His hands and His feet, and hands and feet work practically in close proximity. Um, yeah, you can you can pray obviously, and that that is that is highly effective, um, and it is important to um, make our desires and and our concerns um, known to God, and we can send money. And those things, neither one of those are bad things; they are both good things. But we also have a responsibility to our neighbors, which are the people close to us, and that's where that's where our love goes first and foremost. Just out of practical reality, I think um, in the in the and I realize I'm kind of a little all over the place with this, but hopefully you guys are still with me. In the in the conversation of nationalism, Christian nationalism, when we talk about nations being defined. Um, also by people in place, which I, I, I find that to be, if nothing else, just a simple practical reality. Um, the nation state is, is a natural extension of the fact that we can only care for those who we can reach. And physically, we can only physically care for those we can physically reach. So it makes sense that we would that we would be organized in human civilization into um, groups of people so if we're talking about uh, families and communities and churches, but even in a political sense nation you know states and political um, subdivisions nation states um yes we we love our nation more than we love other nations, and that's okay that's that it's it, if nothing else it's it's The practical thing to do. I, I can pray for people in France, um, all day long, but the people in Colorado, I can actually physically reach and serve, um, and be with, and the people in my church, I can physically serve and reach. They are my neighbors. Uh, the whole world is not my neighbor. It's not, it's not possible. We have human limitations and it's, you know, I, I, i'm not even sure how i got to this point (laughs) this topic of the podcast at this point because i I realize i've been all over the place um but yeah it's (coughs) excuse me i'm getting close to my my destination here so i'm going to probably end up wrapping this up uh fairly fairly shortly but um this is something i think i got to do a little bit more thinking about it and figure out uh, exactly what I, you know, what I think the right thing to, to do is, what I believe the right thing to do is, because I am not willing to, and I don't think that this, this is biblically called for whatsoever, to simply let people who wanted to lock us up and kick us out of society and force medical um, procedures and interventions on our families because of their fear and their gullibility and and stupidity, honestly. Um, because of all that and, and, you know, they, they basically became, um, 1930s and 40s German citizens that were just going along with the Nazis in terms of their, in terms of their stance towards all of this. Um, I'm not willing to say, uh, yeah, you you know, little mistake, no big deal, no big deal. We'll just pretend like you didn't do it. Like I am willing to do that for believers that, that are contrite and repentant and are asking for forgiveness. And honestly, I would say there still should be some consequences for that because if you've fallen into that, um, if you fell into that and became one of those people who was actually advocating for locking up your neighbors um, and destroying their individual liberty, if that, if that was you, you need to step back and, um, and, and learn a little bit. You need to let principled people lead. You need to let people that actually got this right and were faithful even when it cost them something to lead, and you need to step back, and you need to take some time in prayer and in repentance and uh, repairing the relationships that you've damaged. Um, that needs to be your position. And outside of that, for all of these these um, you know Christian leaders and and supposed Christian leaders, even ones that just claim Christ, but but we might argue that they're not actually Christians. Um, out the, a lot of these leaders are just basically trying to say no harm, no foul. Like, hey, forget everything I said before. Um, I want to still be taken seriously. And I'm saying, no, we're not going to take you seriously. Because not only did you get all of this egregiously wrong, but it landed you in a position where you were advocating for horrific evil against your fellow human beings. So, no, we are willing to forgive you, but there are still consequences for this. And the consequences need to be that nobody should take you seriously, if ever again, nobody should take you seriously. We should never, ever be listening to Francis Collins, Ed Stetzer, Russell Moore, J.D. Greer, uh, Ed Litton. Go down the list. Go down the list of these supposed Christian leaders that were basically telling believers, close down your churches and take an experimental gene therapy because the government told you to. And now we're going to put spiritual pressure on you. We're going to spiritually abuse the flock by telling them that, That in order to be obedient to the Lord, you have to follow the authoritarian uh, whims of the government. None of these people should ever be taken seriously ever again. And only after um, apology and contrition and asking for forgiveness, repentance from these things, should any of these people... um, have any sway in the larger Christian conversation. Now I realize that's not realistic because the larger Christian conversation is still populated um, with and dominated by a lot of unbelievers. And unbelievers, you know, uh, false sheep follow false shepherds. So I I, I don't think that, they're, they're, that this is uh, a practical reality, but we're certainly going to be calling out, uh, myself and others hopefully will be calling out um, those those christians that are basically taking this position of just live and just let them off the hook the christian thing is to forgive and let them off the hook um no it isn't no it isn't it's not loving for them it's not loving for the people that they lied to and the people who's who who they did damage to um and no so no we're not going to let them off the hook It is not somehow unchristian of us to say, we're not going to forgive you for something you're not asking for forgiveness for, that you're not repentant and contrite about. And I was having this conversation with uh, uh, one of my buddies earlier today and, and he basically says, oh, aren't we supposed to forgive and forget as Christians? We're supposed to forgive and forget. And I said, um, he said, Hey, that's the, that's the example that Jesus laid out. We're supposed to forgive and forget. And I said, um, do you think that Jesus forgave those who uh, are going to hell? And if someone dies and they go to hell, do you think that they're forgiven for their sins? Well, no, they're not. They're not forgiven. They're actually being punished for their sins. And um, forgiveness for sins does involve repentance. It does involve contrition. It does involve a change of heart and and being humbled. And so far, most of these Christian leaders, I don't see anybody Humble. I don't see anybody humble. I see these people desperately trying to cling to their influence and power despite the fact that they failed. They failed the test miserably. They failed the test to the point um, where they were supportive of, um, I would argue, in the modern age, especially in America, um, the most egregious violations of civil rights this country has ever seen. And these people are. Um, supporting that and supported that and pushed that on everybody now that it turns out that, that they got it wrong badly egregiously wrong to the point where they supported this kind of evil um, it's not loving for them or anybody else for us to just pretend like it didn't happen and we're not going to um, anyway thanks for joining me for the, the Bully Pew podcast hopefully maybe this one was the most bullying one of them all I know I said before that's not the meaning of bully pew, which is a play on words of bully pulpit. The bully pulpit being the bully meaning, you know, wonderful and special and all of this as is, is coined by Teddy Roosevelt. The bully bully pulpit was the president's is the president's ability to have a special audience with the nation. The bully pew is my little audience uh, with you from the pews of my church. I'm not actually recording this from the pews of my church, but I am a um, a veritable pew-sitter in my Baptist Church, not a vocational minister, and um, and there are some days, I confess, there are some days when I am um, very happy to not have that distinction, mostly because I see so many pastors out there that are just, well, they're soft, they're sissy men, <laughs> I guess I could say it that way, um, and I'm I, I try to encourage every pastor that will listen to me not to be that way, as much as I possibly can. Um, because we need that right now in the modern church. Anyway, thanks for tuning in, uh, Bully Pew Podcast. Uh, read headlines and stay in touch with us at Protessia.com. There's a link, by the way, in the top menu at, at the website that says Live and Podcast that you can go to to um, on demand listen to this podcast and I mean, add it to your uh, to your um, RSS like via the RSS feed. Add it to your your podcast player. Um, but anyway. Uh, I'll see you next time as always, Semper Reformanda.